0: Welcome everyone to episode 188 of the Reds Unrestricted Podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Mark Baker as we give our reaction to Liverpool sealing their place at Wembley in the Carabao Cup Final.
1: This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great
0: podcasts. So Liverpool will be taking on Chelsea for the first silverware of the season. They've drawn 1-1 with Fulham on the night and get have got 2-1 win In the first leg at Anfield, they are heading to Wembley with, obviously, that 3-2 aggregate victory. It looked like it was going to be pretty comfortable. Luis Diaz gave Liverpool the two-goal aggregate advantage in the 11th minute, but then Fulham made sure it was an early end. It's a Diop getting a goal for them. Thankfully, Liverpool held on to set up, like I said, that meeting with Chelsea scheduled for the 25th of February. And it's the eighth cup final um, of Jürgen Klopp's tenure. His third attempt um, at winning the League Cup, obviously, the first time unsuccessful against man city last time against chelsea winning on penalties so we'll see if he can do that and it would also give him the chance to win a competition multiple times for the first time in his liverpool tenure so plenty at stake there in terms of the record books we'll begin like we usually do even though it is a particularly significant match with our three word match reviews and just our thoughts on that liverpool performance mark because i don't know about you but I sort of felt very relaxed for 75 minutes and then I was much more edgy for the last 15 or so.
1: Yeah, I'll just go for a a great opportunity because that's what Liverpool have given themselves now, a great opportunity to um, gain a trophy early in the season especially against the Chelsea side who've been malfunctioning for the majority of the season. You've got to think that Liverpool are going quite big favourites to be able to win the final. Undoubtedly, obviously, Chelsea have quality players and It won't be as as easy as that, I'm quite sure. But, yeah, a great opportunity for Liverpool now. And I felt the performance... I felt it was really good Liverpool performance, to be honest, Dave. I felt, obviously, they let themselves down in an isolated moment, which allowed Fulham back in. And I think they could be criticised for not making the most of the areas that they got into and the opportunities and the scenarios they got into. I don't think it will be shown up in terms of the expected goal, tally because a lot of the time Liverpool made the wrong choice or they didn't execute the final pass or the final action. But I felt Liverpool off the ball were excellent, forced Fulham into numerous errors high in the um, Fulham defensive third. Lots of turnovers of the ball, which then allowed Liverpool to have good possession in and around danger to series in Fulham's half. But like I say, unfortunately, there was some decisions and a lack of execution, which meant it left the game alive. And then obviously Fulham getting that goal, um, late on, which I suppose brought a little bit of panic but at no stage did I really think that Fulham were going to grab that equaliser I think when you look at it, I didn't think they were very threatening, I think Liverpool still had the majority of the the control in that period, so I felt Liverpool played well in general, Dave
0: Yeah, and obviously we saw um, Jürgen Klopp throw the extra centre back on um, with Canate which proved to be um, a smart move just in terms of um, you know, shutting them down a little bit. It did feel a little bit like Fulham had. Um, They'd they struggled, I think, to kind of play through Liverpool for much of the game, and then it really kind of opened up towards the end, uh, and you were seeing a lot of passes kind of going straight to the Liverpool midfield into into space in the Liverpool half. Um, and I just wonder if if that change and move into what looked a little bit like a 5-4-1 sort of shape from Klopp kind of helped to close some of those gaps, which um, obviously... Um, saw Liverpool home in the end um, and also, you, I mean, you mentioned the XG there, I think I just saw the the stats flash up on Sky before we started recording, both teams had 0.8, so fair results on the night, um, obviously Liverpool are then the right to go through with the draw by winning the first leg, but I also agree with you, Mark that that should have been much higher for Liverpool in terms of the positions that they were getting into but maybe just not making the right decision, not making the most of the chances um, My three-head review would simply be, um going to Wembley because, you know, it's um, it's another milestone in the Jürgen Klopp here. In terms of how the game went, you know, Liverpool, I thought, started with a lot of intent. You could tell that Klopp had sort of said to the players, you know, treat this as a game that we that we go and win. Don't try and just, you know, take the draw and attack the game. And Liverpool really did that. I think the first goal, obviously, poor goalkeeping from Leno, a couple of deflections. But I think Diaz was strong in the air to win it. Great pass from Gerald Kwanzaa as well. So a bit of quality in there from Liverpool. I mean, Fulham, even before they got their goal, had had a couple of moments. You know, Pelinia should have scored from that corner. He volleyed it over. Pereira hit the post. I think he probably should have scored as well after a bit of a scramble in the box. But having said that, you know, I spend a lot of Liverpool games, like, physically leant forward, you know, properly, you know, staring at the TV this one. I felt like I was leaning back a little bit more during the game. I did feel relaxed, and that was a credit to how Liverpool were playing. I think they showed... Really good control, especially in the first half. They had a long sequence where they were just knocking the ball around and Fulham couldn't get near them. Looked a bit like Man City in that period. I think you're really right to mention, Mark, the spell where in the second half, I think it was sort of a 10-15 minute period where when Liverpool went forward and and Fulham intercepted it originally, Fulham just couldn't get out. Liverpool was absolutely biting in there to win the ball back. And that was really impressive. There was one point where I think they won it about four times in there that was probably the aspect of the performance Egan Klopp liked the most. Um, obviously, the thing that would have frustrated them, like we've said, is the fact that they couldn't go on and kill the game. I do wonder if, with the stadium so quiet and keeping Fulham at arm's length for so long, whether that complacency naturally crept in and whether that was part of the reason. They switched off a bit for the goal. Obviously, we saw Bradley, who generally had a really good game, got pretty, pretty much skinned by Harry Wilson, who, who changed the game for Fulham. Virgil van Dijk, maybe not. Um, as alert as you needed to be in terms of track and d run. So maybe the concentration wavered slightly and that opened the door and, and you don't like to see that. But I do think, like you, Mark, that it was generally a good performance And in terms of like an away second leg in a semi-final that you can't really um, expect too much more against the following team who have caused Liverpool problems on numerous occasions. Um, so let's talk about some of the... Standout individuals then. Um Lewis Diaz got the official man of man of the match award. Um, Mark, uh, I don't know if you agree with that. Or was it someone else you would have gone with, or, or was he sort of Liverpool's best player in your eyes?
1: Uh, I felt obviously Conor Bradley made that mistake for the goal, but I felt he was very good again. Conor Bradley in general, I just don't, I don't just think um, in terms of on the ball because I think he was very good in that sense, but also some of his high pressures were excellent as well to win the ball back, but. Obviously, just got, got done on the last goal. Uh, Van Dijk was his, his normal self, obviously. But I think I, I'm sort of sometimes not giving the credit to Jarrell Kwanzaa that I think he deserves because sometimes you sort of forget, you know, how much of a novice he is in that sort of back line because of some of the performances that he's putting in. And again, I thought he was, it was a really good performance from him, really steady um, dominance in terms of all his display, really. He's really useful on the ball, obviously played that cross-field pass for the goal. But also his is, defending—he never looks out of place. He looks like he's got some uh, growing to do in terms of his athletic capacity. You can see that—you know—he's still got that growing into that sort of frame and his, his acceleration and sprinting, um, sprinting power. You can still see still needs to develop. I'd be worried if he got into too many races if he was exposed. But such as his his positioning so far, and obviously it helps playing with Van Dyke that I think he's been. I mean, his rise this season just can't be underestimated, really, considering how well he's played. He hasn't looked out a place whatsoever and, and even excelling, really. And I think you, you'd like to think that Liverpool have got sort of a, a really valuable homegrown player who could play for Liverpool for a number of years as part of the squads, really. Joe Gomez was good again, so I'd say the whole of the back four really impressed me. Joe Gomez especially. We can see that since Bradley's come into the side, Liverpool have sort of flipped the system in that Gomez is coming in field in, in sort of the, the build up to try and get on the ball. Obviously, they don't want Bradley doing that. They want him to play his natural game as a sort of a wise, athletic fullback. Gomez coming into that position that Alexander Arnold would normally occupy and the foot. He was excellent again. I mean, some of his interceptions when, we were, when Liverpool were out of possession, but also he progressed the ball really well in that central area, taking the ball on the back foot and driving forward the midfield. And obviously heading Liverpool up up, up the pitch, really. Um, Luis Diaz did play well, though. And I think he's been, obviously, a, a person of sort of a lot of um, discussion, really, this season. Because, as we know, you know, he started so positively for Liverpool. And, and to be perfectly honest with you, Dave, he looked like he had the ceiling to be one of the best players in the league. I, I remember saying at the time he was that exciting. He, every time he got the ball, there was a sense of anticipation of what he could conjure and it hasn't quite been like that. Obviously he had really bad injuries, um, well really one bad injury and then a culmination of that when he when he couldn't come back from it and he hadn't been quite the same player yet and I think it's true to say that he still hasn't really rediscovered that absolutely explosive form from when he first signed for Liverpool but I think he has been better in recent weeks and I think what you get with Luis Diaz is he's a player who in the final third you wouldn't say He's absolutely explosive in the sense that he's able to create massive separation, like a doku, for example, who can just face a defender up and stop start them and use that acceleration to, to almost eliminate them 1v1. Don't get me wrong, Diaz is, is not a, a slow player by any means, but he doesn't quite have that sort of acceleration, accelerated capacity. What he is, though, is a player who's excellent really in terms of, and this has shown up in the numbers, in terms of recepting the ball in the higher areas of the pitch, being able to keep hold of it, given the, the side of the platform to be able to play off. And I've always I've been of, of the huge opinion that Sadio Mane used to have this trait as well. When the ball's played up to him at different heights, different different um, difficult angles in which to control the ball, he can really give Liverpool a bit of breathing space and, and, and take them up the pitch really. And that was sort of factored into the goal today, Kwanzaa plays a ball across field, excellent chest control, which was a difficult ball to take in the air, and I think he's really good at controlling his body in that sense, and then all of a sudden, from he made a difficult ball look very easy in the sense that he brought it down, all of a sudden then he's in the penalty area, okay, got a little bit of luck with the finish but that's what he's really good at, and obviously progressing the ball by being able to carry it large distances so that's what you get from Lewis Diaz, and I think whenever Jürgen Klopp is picking his Liverpool side with Lewis Diaz, whether he's playing, you know, not is his quite a uh, high ceiling form or a, a little bit below that, he normally gets picked by the manager on that left hand side. It's very rare that he doesn't when the big games come around. And I think he'll be a valuable member of Liverpool squad again when obviously we, we enter into this second half of the season. I think if he can recapture something like he hit the form of obviously when he first comes to Liverpool. Then Liverpool will have a really good chance of achieving things. I still think he's got some some way to go to be able to be at that level. But yeah, it was another promising display from today. Um, what, what about you, Dave? What did you think?
0: Well, I was gonna, you know, focus on Kwanzaa as well. Really, um, I think, like you said, Mark. I mean, we can't overlook and can't take for granted the importance of his emergence this season. I mean, just to reiterate, this is a player that. I mean, to my knowledge, nobody really expected to play anything more than you know. Take the game against Norwich at the weekend, for example. That was probably the game where he does. Someone like Quinzer might feature. A lot of people probably expected him to go out on loan, having been at a Bristol Rovers last year. Um, but to not only, you know, earn the amount of game time he has, but to just pass every single test to never ever at any moment look sort of fault, you know, that he might falter or that he might be overawed in the slices. I mean, even when, I don't know how much of a correlation this is, but even when he's interviewed, he's just got this completely relaxed demeanour. Um, And for someone, you know, to come in and play some of the fixtures that he has this season, I mean, obviously a lot of games in the Europa League, maybe early cup rounds, the stakes aren't that high, but he's, you know, he's played times in the Premier League in important matches. Obviously, this is a semi-final, just completely unflappable. And, you know, that is obviously a huge trait for a centre-back in terms of you Know their mindset, um, and the one thing I would say on, on Kwanzaa is you know, we know Kanate has habits of getting injuries, um, and fingers crossed he stays fit until the end of the season. But I, I genuinely think that if Kanate, for whatever reason, isn't able to play in the final and Kwanzaa has to play there instead, then I don't think I'd be overly worried because I think aside from Having a bit of an issue with Bowen, and um, for a consolation West Ham goal in the quarterfinals, I don't think he's really done anything wrong in in his mounting list of Liverpool appearances. And for me to be saying that about someone who was pretty much not on my radar at the start of the season, I mean he deserves absolutely massive credit. He's been one of the best breakthrough talents in English football this season. So massive praise to him and a re- another really good performance tonight. Um, On the attackers, I think it was a game that suited Luis Diaz quite well in the sense that I think when he is almost confronting when things slow down and he's confronting his fullback and facing him up, I I don't kind of back him as much as I used to in those 1v1 scenarios, but today he had the chance to run into space a few times and sort of lead that Liverpool counter-attack and he looked a lot more comfortable in in that environment just with the shape he's currently in. Um, and, And on the attackers more generally, obviously a lot of concern about Mohammed Salah going to Afcon. I mean, since we, we last um recorded, it, it's come out as well that Salah's injury is more serious than first feared and it looks like he's not going to be um available until Afcon was pretty much ending anyway. But in the in the few games we've had since um Salah left to join the Egyptian camp, you know, Diaz got getting a goal today. Uh, two assists and two goals for Nunez, an assist and two goals for Jota, one of each for Gakpo as well. I mean, they've really stepped up um, in multiple competitions now. Um, to be fair to mean obviously we'll, we'll see how many more games we have without Salah, but these players who've taken their fair share of criticism and a lot of it justified this season um, also you know deserve their kudos now for delivering when Liverpool have really needed them. So those would be the ones that, that I'd focus on. Again, I think... Like quite a few Liverpool games this season, it wasn't rich in maybe eight and nine out of ten performances, but it was just sort of broadly solid enough across the park to to get the job done. Um, and that sets up the final against Chelsea, which we'll talk talk about a little bit before we finish. I mean, obviously, we'll do a full preview of the game a little bit closer to the time. It's it's just over a month away now as we record this. Um, you mentioned earlier, Mark, that they have looked um, a bit dysfunctional this season, Obviously, this is the third time in the space of a couple of years that we'll be playing Chelsea in a cup final. The previous two um, ended in Liverpool winning on penalties. Chelsea will be like, surely now this this is the time where we get some revenge. I mean, how confident are you about Liverpool coming away with the trophy?
1: Yeah, you've got to put Liverpool favourites. I think Um, the league table suggests that, and I suppose it's hard to gauge where Chelsea are because. The best performances have largely come against in the cup ties against lower league opposition. I think I've been surprised, I mean I don't watch Chelsea every week but I've been really surprised about the manager's use of Enzo Fernandes because I think he's a fantastic player. Uh, he's able to progress the ball in all different types of scenarios, play round, play through you, play over you. And for me, he has to play as a deeper player. I think that's where he excels, obviously that's where he excelled for Argentina. Picking up the ball sort of outside the shape of the opposition in them deeper areas, being able to get his head up, see the game in front of him and be able to pick out sort of them moving targets. And at times I've looked at Pochettino's side and I've even seen Conor Gallagher, for example, who you would think would be a box-to-box midfield player, you know, vacating the midfield, going ahead of the ball. He's often been tasked with being a deeper player than Enzo Fernandes and I haven't quite understood what Pochettino... Has been trying to, trying to create really in that midfield. I mean, I I was unfortunate enough because I'm such a big Messi fan to watch a lot of PSG under Pochettino, and I must admit, like I, I was a massive fan of Pochettino with Tottenham. I thought his his side were excellent, organised, hungry young players who were excellent without the ball, seemed to have a clear strategy and game plan on the ball, and obviously there's different factors of PSG and things like that in terms of the. You know the the makeup of the individuals within that squad, but that was a team under Pochettino who had no identity with or without the ball, and I was really surprised at what I was what I was seeing from the manager. So I was interested to see sort of what he's going to come with at Chelsea. I think, obviously, he's he's also got a situation where he's missing his fullbacks for the vast majority of the season, who are probably some of their most important, valuable players, and also sort of in that front line. I think that Nicholas Jackson will be a good player for Chelsea. Uh, I think he's got an all-round game, which suggests to me that you know he could go on to be a, a valuable player in that forward line. But he seems to have been in and out of his thinking. He, the wide players seem to chop and chop and change as well. So I think he's almost searching for an identity, just not in terms of just individuals that he's chopped and changed with, but also in in the sense of a style of play or players playing in exact positions that would get the best out the the makeup best out of the makeup of the players that he's got i.e. the the, the issue I thought with with Enzo Fernandez. So a real mixed bag from from what I've seen of of Chelsea really. And I think one of the things I I was just thinking about actually when we were discussing it in terms of Liverpool tonight and when they seem to just lose the way a bit because we talked about Obviously, how they had complete control in that second half. It was when Alexis McAllister left the field as the deeper player. And I think Liverpool are vulnerable there at this moment in time. And obviously, with Enzo coming back, Liverpool have got to get through this period. And I think the the sort of availability of some of Liverpool's players could be, could be telling as well. You know, Liverpool want to get some of their better players back. I know they're managing this sort of period without some of the really be- best players w- within the side. But whenever you enter sort of a cup final, you want them better players to be able to play. And it just touched on my mind in terms of Alexis McAllister today when he went off. And that's no slight on Curtis Jones, who I'm a massive fan of. But he's not a deeper midfield player. He's not the deepest player. And you could see that the distances within Liverpool's side weren't quite correct. His reading of the game in that area, obviously, we know he's played as a higher player. And yeah, it just got me to think that Liverpool are managing this period really well. But it's like any time when you haven't got your better players available, you can cope for a short period of time, but then the the sort of deficiencies will start to see over over the longer period. So you'll to get, you know, Salah and Alexander-Arnold, hopefully, will be back within the next, well, Alexander-Arnold, certainly within a short period of time. And that will mean that Liverpool can go into the game with what they would perceive as their their best 11. Interesting today as well, I always thought that Liverpool lost their way when Darwin Nunes went off the field as well, which we've talked about in terms of how that output changes. So, so, yeah, just obviously a little bit on the factors that I think could influence from Liverpool's point of view, but also from, from Chelsea's point of view, because if he hopefully doesn't touch on the, the right kind of personnel in the right areas to, to be able to get the best out of them for that final.
0: Yeah, and um, when you kind of have hypothetical lineup scenarios, you always say if it was a cup final tomorrow, who would you play? So, just to say Liverpool do hopefully have a broadly fully fit squad by then who Klopp is kind of trusting, because we'd like to think, obviously, that we've all got a very good chance of getting to the last 16 of the FA Cup. Favourites to win the Europa League. You know that it's not going to be the last um, final that they play in this season, but we'll obviously see how that pans out. In terms of Chelsea, you know, I mentioned before that it's the third Wembley meeting in a short space of time. One thing I would say is, with Pochettino against Klopp, it's that you know Champions League final rematch um, from 2019 as well. So he's got that added motivation. But I, I do think that I was much more fearful of what Thomas Tuchel's sides could bring. I thought he, he basically got you know Chelsea to the Champions League final and beat Man City because I thought, in terms of being that individual game tactician, he's right up there with the very best. I, I'm not sure there's, there's too many who can. Can beat him in that regard. So he was a coach that, when he managed Chelsea, that I kind of feared a bit um, when Liverpool came up against him. So I think I'd, I'd much rather go up to Pochettino manage Chelsea, even before you're talking about the struggles this season um, and being much lower down in the league. On the other hand, you know they still have a lot of quality players. You mentioned one before, Fernandez, um, maybe not being used in the best way. Caicedo obviously, there's a the Liverpool narrative there, um, expensive. Very talented players throughout the team who, on their day, can beat anyone. The, the three best teams in the Premier League are in Liverpool, City and Arsenal. have all gone to Stamford Bridge this season and they've all they've all drawn. None of them have won, obviously, 1-1 for Liverpool, 4-4 in that mad game for Man City. I think it was 2-2 for Arsenal as well.
1: Chelsea so... should have cool as well, Dave, shouldn't they? I think in that particular yeah. game, the game of the season, I felt Chelsea should have won that game.
0: Yeah, so again, like this is an important thing to consider. As much as Chelsea have dropped a lot of points and and lost to some poor teams in the league, they have got a bit of a habit of raising their game and showing much closer to what you think the level would be when they're playing those top sides. Is that something that we should be concerned about, especially with it being a one-off match? That you know what? It might actually be that we don't have to look at the form book as much and with the amount of quality Chelsea have, it could be a much more even game than some people might expect.
1: Yeah, I think so, I think so, David. I mean, largely I think Chelsea have really struggled against teams who sit deeper on the field and, and being forced to, to try and create and break down from that period point of view. I think actually, Chelsea's chance creation is actually quite high in general in terms of the league, but they haven't been able to convert them chances. They've had a really low percentage in that sense. Um, So I think they've struggled when that's been the case. When the game sort of more open and maybe Chelsea aren't expected to be the dominant side without with the ball for the 90 minutes. I think that's when the you know the the, the very dangerous in that sense because they've got you know uh, players who run willing to run in behind and the likes of Steele and Nicholas Jackson Modric, um, and then also you know a, a touch of, of quality in the sense of you call Palmer, your Enzo Fernandez who can potentially create in that final phase as well. So I think in a one-off game, I totally agree with you. I, I do also agree, and I think it's a very good point that Thomas Tuchel is right up there in terms of his organisation, especially what he was able to extract out of Chelsea in that sort of early period that he had them. I felt they were the, one of one of the, the best coached sides within the Premier League at that point, point. and I think obviously with Pochettino, I don't think that level is quite there, and I don't think it has been for a while since since sort of that them them sort of Tottenham days. I think his record against Jurgen Klopp is really really poor in general, not just the final as well. Um, but yeah in terms of a one-off game I think Chelsea have got the kinds of players we, who can hurt you especially in transition and um, I don't expect it to be a walk in the park at all you have to make Liverpool favourites on the basis that they've simply been more organised with and without the ball this season and have been the better team by a considerable margin on a week-to-week basis but like you said that doesn't mean that with the quality Chelsea have within their team they're not capable of hitting teams in a one-off game especially because the suitability of how they're going to play against a better team. It's probably more suited to the players they have than than
0: a lesser team. Yeah, and obviously another interesting point here is that Liverpool are due to play Chelsea, um, yeah. in in a Premier League game at the end of this month. They have um, a uh, a League Cup game, sorry, an FA Cup game coming up at the weekend against Norwich, and then it's uh, it's Chelsea at Anfield. So we might see a little bit of a preview of that game tactically um a month a month or so before it happens so interesting to see what each manager can learn from that obviously a big game as well in its own right for liverpool's premier league hopes and then they go to arsenal the following weekend so the the big matches just keep coming obviously a chance to rest and rotate a little bit against norwich I hope as liverpool try and continues to fight on on four this season but the headline from tonight is certainly that liverpool are through to the league cup final with that 1-1 draw against Fulham and the 3-2 win on aggregate. So we'll leave it there for tonight's podcast. Thanks for joining me, Mark, and thanks very much, everyone, for listening. If you have enjoyed it, remember to give us a five-star rating. We'd really appreciate it. And join us for our next episode after the Cup game against Norwich. We'll probably be releasing that one early Monday if you listen out for that. But, yeah, until then, take care.